Bienvenidos a Crónicas de la Raza. Welcome to La Raza Chronicles. On tonight's program, we bring you arte y cultura because we need poetry and música to fuel resistance movements. We'll start off the program with an update on the fight for ethnic studies programs in California schools. We'll also bring you Poesía by Joseph Rios, as well as students who participated in the Poetry to the People class at San Francisco City College. In addition, you'll hear from LatinLife.com founder Eric Osuna, as well as an interview and music in studio by Alejandro y María Laura, the Peruvian singer-songwriter duo. They'll be playing a couple shows here in the Bay. Todo esto y muchísimo más. Please stay tuned, and we'll start off the program by paying tribute to a world-renowned and very loved writer, Michelle Cerros. Renowned author Michelle Cerros passed away this past Sunday. The following was written by her husband. It is with great honor, privilege, and a heavy heart to announce the life transition of author, artist, poet, and Oxnard native Michelle Cerros on January 4, 2015. Michelle's wondrous birth into this world was on February 10, 1966, to her loving parents, Mr. and Mrs. George and Beatriz Cerros and Sister Yvonne Cerros, in the unincorporated city of El Rio, California. Michelle published her first novel, Chicana Falsa, in 1994 while still a student at Santa Monica City College, and her second novel, How to Be a Chicana Role Model, later in 2000. In 2002, Michelle was hired as a staff writer for the first season of The George Lopez Show. Later, in 2004, she signed with Simon & Schuster to pen the young adult novels Honey Blonde Chica and the sequel Scandalosa. During all this, Michelle toured as a motivational speaker, delivering commencement speeches and participating in book signings and book fairs all over the country. She met her husband, restaurateur Antonio Magaña, in the summer of 2010. They were engaged on Christmas Day that same year and were married the following June on the rooftop of the judges' chambers in New York City. Already an established author, Michelle was a regular contributor to the Los Angeles Times, the Washington Post, the Huffington Post, Marie Claire, Ms. Magazine, Cosmo Girl, and contributed satirical commentaries for National Public Radio, while continuously championing various organizations for the advancement of women, our youth, and Chicano culture. She recorded selected stories from Chicana Falsa for Mercury Records and was selected by the Getty Research Institute and the Poetry Society of America to have her poetry placed on MTA buses throughout Los Angeles County. In 2002, Michelle was chosen by Penn Center USA to write and perform an original piece honoring John Seinbeck. A true feminista, Michelle also reveled in surfing, bowling, skateboarding, swimming, bicycle rides to the pool, arts and crafts with her stepdaughter, picture framing, sewing, polar bear dives on New Year's Day, and cooking delicious vegan meals from scratch. Michelle's brilliant spirit took flight to join her mother among the infinite heavens while recuperating between alternative cancer treatments. She was at her home where she was spending time enjoying what brought her joy, happiness, and peace. For Michelle, life was not a fight that was to be won or lost, but enjoyed as a wonderful journey to be experienced with a firm sense of purpose, curiosity, tenacity, hard work, and never-failing courage, all of which she continuously displayed with her wit, humor, charm, humility, dignity, grace, and of course, style. She never quit. Michelle will be greatly missed by everyone her life touched in so many ways. An inspiration to her family, friends, and fans around the world, Michelle Cerros will always be the original Chicana role model. May her body rest in peace, her soul rest in power, and her words rest in eternal vibration. Her biggest and most loyal fan, Antonio, her husband. In lieu of flowers and gifts, Michelle's family humbly requests that you please contribute to her Give Forward campaign. Donations can be made online at giveforward.com slash a Latina en la lucha needs you mucha or sent via mail to Michelle Cerros, CO Flacos, 3031 Adeline Street, Berkeley, California, 94703. Michelle Cerros, presente. Los niños no vuelan, cruzan desiertos, en mi ciudad penan, 
todos los muertos Cada lunes empieza a llover Cada lunes empieza a llover Cada lunes empieza a llover Los hombres se acuestan sobre el cementerio Tal vez sea la culpa por no ir al entierro Cada lunes empieza a llover Cada lunes empieza a llover Cada lunes empieza a llover Y del subsuelo emergen cuerpos Con sed de cielo sueños helados sé que siempre estarán a mi lado sé que siempre estarán a mi lado
That was the song Fiesta para los Muertos by the Peruvian singer and songwriting duo Alejandro and Maria Laura off of their album Fiesta para los Muertos. And I'm very excited to have them in studio with us tonight on La Raza Chronicles to share their music and to tell us about their upcoming events, one of which is this Sunday at Studio Grand in Oakland. Gracias por estar otra vez con nosotros, Alejandro y María Laura. Muchas gracias. Thank you very much. We're glad to be here once more. Muchas gracias. Uh, we're really excited to be back here, you know, in California and, and be able to, to play in different venues as well. Yes, you were last here about a year ago, and that's when I first heard your music, and I was totally blown away, hmm. and I had a chance to interview you and introduce your music to La Raza Chronicles listeners. But you left and you went back to Peru, and it looks like you guys were very, very busy with projects and traveling around Latin America. Tell us a little bit about this past year for you all. You know, actually, the day we decided to make 2014 like the year of, of traveling and, you know, playing a lot, we made that decision here. <laughs> it was a New Year's Eve, I remember, from uh, the 2013 to 2014. And um, I think we just kind of decided, I mean, we, we like this place so much that we decided to keep on uh, traveling and playing and not only playing, I mean, in our own country, in Peru, in Lima, but uh, also traveling around. So this year we were in, in Argentina, in Brazil, Chile, Chile Colombia. Colombia. And we'll hear again. <laughs> and I saw that you did a special for HBO in Brazil, right? Yes, that, that's the reason why we went to, to Brazil. It was a surprise for us that we were invited to this HBO special that is called Encuentros en Brasil. Paulinho Mosca was the musician that invited us. The main thing was to write a song about Brazil. We told him we had never been in Brazil before, <laughs> but that didn't matter. They just wanted <laughs> us to, to write a song uh, about what we expected about Brazil. And it was really nice to go there and, and visit places that we've never been before. And Yeah. I mean, it was strange to write a song about something you, or somewhere, someplace you don't know. So it was kind of like writing like a fantasy song, like if we were going to Mars or something. <laughs> it was amazing. And, and then we were there for a week and uh, it was really amazing. Well, I'm sure you were very inspired and a lot of music came out of that trip and just your entire year traveling around. Why don't you share one of your songs with us? So uh, we're going to do a song called uh, Nadie puede amar a un fantasma. That was uh, the first uh, single of uh, our second album, Fiesta para los Muertos. Um, and it means in English, it's uh, no one can love a ghost. Miras todo al revés No caminas con los pies y aunque sientes que todo el mundo te ve, nadie te ve. Si cambiarás tal vez, si cambiarás tal vez, podrías camuflarte entre los árboles. Tal vez Podemos fingir hasta explotar Podemos fingir hasta explotar Podemos fingir hasta olvidar De respirar Giraremos hasta vomitar Giraremos hasta vomitar Giraremos hasta vomitar por fin podremos respirar Tal vez Tal vez Sientes todo al revés Desaparecer de este mundo. 
just a moment long They decided Y te sacan a bailar Los fantasmas Pero nadie puede amar A un fantasma Podemos fingir hasta explotar Podemos fingir hasta olvidar De respirar Giraremos hasta vomitar Giraremos hasta vomitar Giraremos hasta vomitar Giraremos y por fin was so beautiful i'm here in the control room singing along oh, thank you <laughs> thank you um that song actually has a really beautiful video as yes. well we um, um we filmed it i well, mean we didn't film it a director filmed it brian jacobs in iquitos in uh, la selva el peru and rainforest from uh, in peru it's <clears throat> it's really nice um to see another thing coming from the song You know, uh, this song has been in our hands for two years or three years now. Yeah. And it was great to to see uh, how Brian um, make the song different. The thing is, you you make a song, right? You write a song and then someone listens to it and gives it like a different meaning to it. Uh, they yes. they interpret it differently. So uh, to see that and, and be able to see how Brian uh, Jacobs, uh, the director, interpreted the song like in black and white and in the rainforest and with this like mystical creatures of of Iquitos, uh, the province in, in Peru where it was filmed. That is, I mean, for me, it's such a gift like uh, to be able to, to see the song like uh, from a different perspective. Well, we will definitely link to that video on the La Raza Chronicles Facebook page. And I know the other videos you all have have been really creative. You have one with puppets. That's yeah. fantastic. <laughs> um, so we will post that on our Facebook page so our listeners can take a look at that. But let's Thanks. talk about your upcoming shows because now our listeners have had a chance to listen mm -hmm. to your beautiful, wonderful music. Yes, we are playing this Sunday at Studio Grand, this uh, January 11th, and we are playing with Diana Gameros and Maria Jose Montijo, two wonderful friends, singers, songwriters, that it's been a pleasure to, to share music with them. We're playing in Oakland, in Studio Grand, and uh, we're playing next Sunday also in the Red Puppy Art House. The last concert we have here Um, at least uh, for a while, you know, we're, we're going to keep on traveling and then but we're going to come back every year, I, I guess, or every two years. I don't know <laughs> what, ha what will happen, but uh, we really do love it here. And um, we're so grateful that, to having uh, have met so many musicians around. And what I found mo more amazing about like playing around here is that at first we were kind of scared, like people, maybe maybe some people don't understand the lyrics or, or Spanish, so maybe they won't go to the concerts or something. <laughs> but we just found out it's it's like a completely different like people here are so open and and even people that don't understand the lyrics are 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 still listening to it and asking us about the lyrics and the songs and it's been really a lot of fun yeah it was great one particular night in oh, we played in four we, different we places we played right? in map there was lots of people that didn't know who we are and and still they they got to listen to the songs and We well, we always explain a little bit of the songs before singing them, and and it was it was a beautiful night. That night, <laughs> actually, we, we brought a, some of the of the second album, Fiesta para los Muertos, mm -hmm. but uh, we sold them out that night. We cannot have you leave <laughs> without singing another song for our yeah. listeners. So why don't you play something else? Of course. Right, we'll play the the ch the children's song, song, the hit song <laughs> from the second album. <laughs> 
Well, I I just want to explain that hit song. Like when we mean hit, it's a hit for us, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really being played in in the radio in Peru or anywhere else, I guess. But uh, people seem to like this song, so we're gonna play it. And um, it's called Pesca Chetón de China, from the second album as well. And it's about a blowfish from China who gets bullied in uh, in Lima. Bueno, acá. Pescachetón de China, pescachetón de China, de la recife, de la esquina. Desinfla los cachetes, desinfla los cachetes y piérdete entre otros peces. Si sigues la corriente, si sigues la corriente, ya nadie sacará los dientes. Pescachetón de China, pescachetón de China, todos aquí son mala espina. Y los peces chicos cuentan chistes en el charco Y las tías peces chismosean Sobre el pescachetón de China, pescachetón de China, de la recife de la esquina. Pescachetón de China, pescachetón de China y su tragedia submarina. Decidió inflarse hasta salir del planeta Cuando dejó la tierra, cuando dejó la tierra Lo recibieron las estrellas Pescachetón de China, pescachetón de China Aquí nadie te discrimina Alejandro y María Laura, the Peruvian duo, and they're in studio with us sharing their music and their upcoming shows. So tell us again the information for your show this Sunday. This Sunday in Studio Grand, Oakland, uh, with Diana Gamero and Maria Jose Montijo. Uh, doors open at the six, right? at 6.30. 6 and all the information is in our website also, Alejandro com, And we will put a link up on our Facebook page. And also next Sunday, uh, the um, 18th, we're playing at the Red Poppy Art House. Um, and that's going to be our last show uh, in the Bay Area. In the Bay Area this year. So I recommend for our listeners to head out this Sunday to Studio Grand and check out Alejandro and Maria Laura. And if you can't go to that show, uh, show up on the 18th at the Red Poppy Art House in San Francisco because that will be their last show. I want to thank uh, Prom Peru, who made it possible for us to come here the second time, you know. And also uh, uh, Carlos Dizier from La Bohemia, who is uh, helping us out in all this, uh, telling everyone to go to the shows as well. <laughs> and um, yes, just, just that. Uh, thank you very much for, for inviting us one more time.
This is Nina Serrano for La Raza Chronicles. I have in the studio today a poet, Joseph Rios, who'll be reading to us from his work and talking about his process. Bienvenidos, Joseph Rios. Hi, Nina. Thank you for having me here. Oh, it's our pleasure. We've been hearing so much about your work, and maybe we could hear some of it right now. Is most of your poetry working-class poetry? It is a bit. You know, that's that's where I feel the most comfortable. I'm from Fresno, California. I've done a lot of general labor work in my life. My dad was a gardener, landscaping. My family uh, works in agriculture, and I've worked in packing houses and things like that. And so a lot of it finds its way there. I make money doing handyman stuff and, and moving an independent contractor. And, and sometimes, most of the time, I could do all the work by myself. But sometimes you just need another guy. Well, as you're telling me all this you're sitting here in a Harvard T-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about that, your education. Well, the T-shirt is, is my good friend. Stephanie sent it to me. She, she and I went to Berkeley together, and she's currently doing a Ph.D. at Harvard. And she's from L.A., from Huntington Park. It kind of reminds me, I guess, sometimes when I'm working, like that there are other things that I'm able to do that I'm very good at that have nothing to do with moving or handyman or anything like that. That work is, is doing what it needs to do for me right now as far as paying rent and keeping me going. So let's hear... Baldemar's Halle. Some loud morning you wake. A hammer sledge meets a black crowbar and makes it sing a vibrating, humming, knuckle-swelling crash of drum-drum on asphalt black. Note the simple, repeating dashes painted a cold-as-hell yellow, keeping time under Baldemar's wind-catching hand swirling every which way from the passenger's side. See, Baldemar, shaking rocks in a paper cup, sitting there on a plastic milk crate behind the U-Haul store. He will do whatever you want for a square ten an hour. His back, his hands, his limited English, his supplication, and his silver-capped teeth are yours. When it's over, Baldemar only asks that you return him to where he was found. You just heard Joseph Rios reading his own original poetry. So here in the title, you mix the two languages. Can you talk about that for a moment? Uh, yeah, Baldemar is, is such a... I chose that name just because it sounds like such a dignified name. A lot of names, older style names in Spanish, have that sound. And Baldemar is, is hard for anyone to say who who doesn't speak Spanish. So there's already creates like a distance between him and anyone else in the English world just by saying his name. And Halle, we know, or at least in the, to be somebody's work, it's someone's work. And when you read it on the page, someone who doesn't speak English will read it as like a misspelled, a misspelled way of saying jail. So it's J-A-L-E, which in Spanish is Halle, but in English it would read jail with a long A. So when you read it, it's Valdemar's Halle, but it's also Valdemar's Jail. And that his work and his toil, though it sustains him, is also never-ending. There's a lot of thought going into every choice that you make in your poetry. It's spare and very telling and rich and wonderful. Mm. Do you have another poem for us? Sure. I had the, the pleasure of going to Sacramento with a bunch of other poets to, to write ecrastic uh, poems. You might want to tell listeners what kind of poems those are. It's poems written after pieces of art. And there is an exhibition that started in Washington, D.C. at the Smithsonian that is a collection of Latino art. It moved from D.C. to Miami and made its way to Sacramento. And they brought in a, a bunch of poets from Northern California to spend two, three days viewing the work, talking about writing poems after art, and then dedicating a lot of time to creating work there that weekend. And I wrote this poem there, and there was other poets there, Lucha Corpi, Francisco Arcon, Francisco Aragon from Notre Dame. He's the one who organized it. Javier Huerta, Maceo Montoya, and others. And I was drawn to a painting by Frank Romero, and it's called uh, The Death of Ruben Salazar. And it's about the death of the journalist, and it's a painting outside the theater of where it actually happened. And it's a short poem, very short poem. You can read it now. I titled it, Death of Ruben Salazar, revised, after a painting by Frank Romero. The sheriffs were really showgirls, with curvy, thick-toned legs and polished, high-heeled boots. 
The silver dollar was really a fiesta. The rooftop, the top of Ruben's head. The top of Ruben's head, a piñata, exploding into a cloud of confetti. Powerful. Any other poems you'd like to share? Sure, sure. This one is called Ars Poetica, Three Generations. This is about home. Seventy years later, a great-grandson called Josefo built a treehouse on the corner of 8th and DeWitt. He laid three two-by-four arms across branches and hammered a wide piece of plywood to make a floor. When he finished, he sprawled across the board and fell asleep. In his sleep, he rolled off the platform. For a moment, he saw the branches going by him on all sides. The few noteworthy events of his life did not suddenly flash through his mind. This was not a dream. Josefo collided with a limb and tumbled to the grass below. The fall knocked the wind out of him. He laid there gasping on the lawn. No one saw him and no one could hear him. When he regained his breath, he got up and climbed back into the tree. To Josefo, this history is common knowledge. If you asked him, he would tell you, but you wouldn't believe him. And is that an ancestor? It's me, um, and it's and it's about my ancestors. My family has lived on the on the same corner of Eighth and DeWitt for almost a hundred years in the Central Valley. It's always interesting to me, or as fruitful for me in poems to think about that as a source of place. You know, knowing that my family or they are the only people who've ever lived there in that corner on that piece of land, and at least in the last century, to grow up there as a kid and play there and get hurt there and climb trees there and fall out of trees there. That's where I began, you know. So for a closing poem? I can read another one of the Baldemar ones. Oh, he's a series. There's three of them. There's a few of them, yeah. At least at this point, there's three. Oh, why don't you read the other two? Okay. Well, this one, this is probably the closest one to being done. There's there's two. I'll just say there's two. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but there, there may be others in the, in the future, but the, there's two that are closest to being done. They're all called Baldemar's Halle. So this is Baldemar's Halle. Baldemar's Halle. Baldemar loves these busted-ass appliances and the boxes they come in. He pines after them spends whole days cruising blocks and alleys behind other blocks and alleys in search of these discards. Cardboard is more than a sagging plea bent against warped walls of grease-stained plywood and cheap stud held tight with splintered twine, much more to Baldemar's woolen digits, breaking apart plastic casings, removing self-tapping screws and small-gauge strands like harvested corn husk or your sister's pubic hair. What's left after removing all wired components is worth its toil in single wrinkled dollars, clasped each with two gloved hands dipped in rubber blue. You've been listening to the poetry of Joseph Rios here on La Raza Chronicles. Well, thank you so much, Joseph, for coming in on this rainy day and sharing your work with us. We've really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. And I hope you'll think about coming back again. Of course. Wonderful. Gracias. You're listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. I'm your host, Julieta Kuznir, and today we're very lucky to have in the studio with us Eric Osuna. He's the founder of Latin Life, and it's just launched. It's this exciting project that, although it's tackling a lot of issues and a lot of events all over, its birthplace is really the Bay. So, Eric, thank you so much for joining us here today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. It's exciting. So, Eric, you have a long time in the media world. You also have been very committed to highlighting and lifting up the issues in the Latino community and also the Mexicano community, the Mexican-American community. Why don't you give our listeners some reasons why you decided to invest your time and your energy and your soul into launching this project? Well, we launched LatinLife.com on October 1st because I spent the last 20 years of my life in traditional media, so that's radio and television, and it was a very fruitful and a very engaging, you know, it was a very exciting uh, career. 
Uh, I got to travel a lot throughout the country. You name it, I've been there as far as the U.S., uh, some Latin America. And through me working through traditional media, so that's radio, television, print, all of it in the Spanish language uh, world, I realized that there was a growing population of people that, you know, where they're Latino, but they didn't, uh, weren't consuming Spanish media. And then that same contingent of uh, Latinos was also not consuming necessarily English media completely. You know, what they're searching for is to identify with their culture. And that cultural relevance is very important for Latinos because we, a lot of us, grew up, you know, eating different kinds of foods, for example, and listening to different types of music, but there was no outlet. Now there's 54 million Latinos in the, in the U.S. total, and 65% of them are now born in the U.S. So they're kind of orphans. They're culturally left out. And we decided there was a void. And we built this company, this platform, latinlife.com, for that void. Eric Osuna, so you mentioned that you all tackle a wide range of issues. You have on listed, you know, everything from highlighting upcoming music events to talking about important social issues. So why don't you talk to us about how you all make those choices and give us some examples of some of the many things you all highlight. So latinlife.com is a mobile platform. It's also a desktop platform, but, you know, you can access it anywhere. And because we're a culture that is very outgoing, loves events, loves, you know, entertainment, uh, we're focused on events and entertainment. So that's our main piece. Our second piece is uh, culture. And then our third piece is empowerment. Uh, The entertainment piece is very heavy. It's what gets people in. So they all want to see where... Where is the party? Where is the event covered in uh, full? For example, all the Dia de los Muertos events that happened this past month. You know, we cover all the music things that are going on, but that not necessarily would be on the radar for the total market. So there's a huge concert happening with Tigres del Norte in San Jose that is, you know, it's a huge show. They're touring throughout the U.S., They're selling out wherever they go, but nobody is talking about it. So we're talking about that. Additionally, so we tell people where the party is. And then uh, when we get them in, (laughs) we start giving them empowering information. So, for example, uh, we visited with Javier Morales from the Latino Coalition here in Berkeley. And he told us that the way statistics are going, 50% of all Latino children are going to have diabetes if we don't stem the tide of consumption of uh, sugary foods and drinks. So, you know, we talk about that on the site. So we cover the gamut between entertainment, culture, things that wouldn't necessarily be out in the general public, and then empowerment stories. So things that are really going to help this uh, population, which under indexes for uh, just about all the life qualities that you want uh, to have a better life, for example, finances education, uh, health. So all of these things that, uh, that really help you know, the population to, to, to have a better life, a lot of times is missing out in the, the non-Latino space, specifically for them. For example, a lot of moms and dads uh, in Latino culture will baby talk a, a child. Well, you know, Latinos do that out of because they love their child, but at the same time, it hurts their their language skills as they get older. So these are things that wouldn't necessarily be treated in the general media, but we talk about them because they're important to our consumer. That's the voice of Eric Osuna. He is a founder of LatinLife.com, which is just launched and it is still new. So Eric, around the world, around we see a lot of target marketing to Latinos because as folks know, we're a huge percentage of the community, of the population. We have dollars to spend. So we are a very desirable market. So there are a lot of things, whether it's having everything from, you know, spicy chips and, you know, um, have our michelada that's pre-made and have the everything ready for us and in terms of alcohol companies really trying to target to us and we also have a lot of things where you know we'll have things like Cinco de Mayo which are have become huge 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 money making and huge almost 
national holidays in the U.S. where people are, quote unquote, honoring Latino communities and traditions. But, you know, oftentimes these these fall more along the lines of exploitation and further marginalization where unhealthy products are continuing to be targeted to us. So how do you all negotiate? You're brand new, but I'm sure there are people knocking at the door saying, hey, you know, we're doing Latino focused work. Look at our Cinco de Mayo. Look at our our special beer, our special alcohol, our special cigarettes that we're launching with Latinos in mind. How do you all negotiate what makes the cut? That's a very important point that you made. Um, We do uh, try to filter things that we talk about. Um, So, for example, alcohol consumption or things that uh, are not necessarily good for the community. But one interesting factor that you should know is that is that 50% of California, the majority of California, is now Latino. That may come as a shock to a lot of people, but 50% of California, the majority of the population, is Latino. But if you look at the Fortune 500 companies, or if you look at just the corporate companies in California, the specifically the Mexican-American voice is missing from all facets of all companies. Uh, you go from the tech industry, there's all kinds of you know talk going on about how Latino voices are missing or Latino just, the, uh, the personnel is missing above the consumer level. So, you know, at the consumer level, there's $1 trillion that's going to advertising to the Latino. But then if you go to some of the, the larger companies, the Fortune 500 companies up at the top, so at the board level, at the ownership level, at the C-suite level, even at the manager level, you won't find Latinos. And that's a big, big problem because we have to lead California in the new dire- in a new direction. And the vast majority of the population is Latino. So, so that's part of the reason why we started this company is we said, you know, enough is enough. We're going to not just, you know, say it, but we're going to show it with ownership. So this company is completely owned and operated by uh, Latinos. And we plan to, um, you know, be diverse, but start to move that that voice, that Latino voice forward in California, where it's absolutely missing from tech companies down to oil companies and everything in between. That's a voice of Eric Osuna. He's talking about LatinLife.com, which is just launched and it's now something that people can access. So Eric, tell us about how people can connect. Is it something, an app? Is it something that they're constantly checking every day? Is there a newsletter they can sign up for? Yeah, so there's all kinds of exciting things going on on the site. It's made, you know, primarily it's entertainment. So, you know, all kinds of concerts and events. There's, uh, we feature the Christina show, for example, that just launched on ABC, which is a Mexican-American actress uh, with a featured show. And, you know, we cover movies. For example, we covered The uh, Book of Life by Guillermo del Toro. Uh, so we cover th- things like that. You know, anything that's going on that's fresh and new is on the site. It's being updated every day with, you know, that kind of information. So you can access it on your mobile, like I said, and it's also tablet ready. Uh, it's not an app yet because we're working out all the kinks But once that's done, it is going to be an application. One thing that I I do want to mention, uh, for example, is that uh, if you look at the movie industry, 30% of all tickets are purchased by Latinos. Yet when you go to the theater, Latinos only have a 5% speaking role in all movies. And of the speaking roles, the ones where there are female Latinas, they're predominantly naked or with less clothing on. And the men are represented by either, you know, thugs or, you know, cutting the grass. And we just want to say that we're done with that. (laughs) We are so done with that. We're ready to move forward and talk about the beauty of Latin culture. And we're giving that a voice with uh, LatinLife.com. So, Eric, what if we have community organizers, activists, artists, all kinds of people that are listening that say, hey, here's a great platform to be able to support the important community work I'm doing. How do they connect to you? Thank you so much for mentioning that. It's completely free to list any event that you have going on. If it's a poetry reading, if it's a you know a party in a, at a restaurant, if you have an event going on and you want to list it, it's completely free to list your event. It's great for community organizers. It's great for anybody that wants to uh, reach a, a you know a large platform. We have uh, 1.7 million Latinos in the Bay Area, 
all accessing, you know, the uh, the web. And this is a place where you can list whatever you have going on at no charge. Thank you, Eric. We've been speaking to Eric Osuna. He's talking about latinlife.com. Thank you so much for joining us. Listening to La Raza Chronicles, Cronicas de la Raza. I'm your host, Vanessa Bohm. San Francisco and Los Angeles school districts have approved over the last months and year the teaching of ethnic studies courses at the high school level. This has been a significant victory for educators who believe ethnic studies courses are critical for making education more empowering and relevant for our children and youth. These victories come at a time when ethnic studies has been under attack in states such as Arizona. Here to talk to us more about the importance of ethnic studies classes and the field in our education system is Curtis Acosta. He is a teacher in the he was a teacher in the uh, he was a teacher in the banned Mexican American Studies Department in Tucson, Arizona, and he is now an education consultant and ethnic studies advocate with Acosta Latino Learning Partnership. Thank you, Curtis, for speaking with us this evening. Oh, thank you, Vanessa. It's my honor. Well, I can say that this is an issue very close to my heart. I am a product of ethnic studies. It is the field that I concentrated my graduate studies in. The experience has really defined my life since then. For those of our listeners who are unfamiliar with ethnic studies, can you give us a, a background on this field of study? It's relatively new. Well, Vanessa, I think you, you know your testimony and, and your, uh, the way you articulate it is a perfect example of the importance of ethnic studies. What we found in our program, which is the Mexican American Studies program, is that it was it was life changing. It was uh, an opportunity for students finally to see themselves in the curriculum, to find value within school, to see that their academic identities were engaged. They were uh, they were sparked to, to life, if you will, and they've led these amazing um, lives since then. You know, many of our students went on to uh, to college, and m- many more are active in our community and just wonderful parents and civically engaged young people. And credit to our community and credit to, to this nation. In, in Tucson, I was a teacher for nearly 20 years. This wasn't a snapshot. And for those that aren't familiar with ethnic studies or have heard because of talking points from folks that are critical of ethnic studies. Just a little bit of definition. What we're talking about is a concentration of academic studies that's more inclusive to the cultures that have been marginalized historically throughout the, the history of education in the United States, including Latinos, Chicanos, Chicanos, as well as African Americans, Native Americans, and Asian Americans, and, and more. As this country changes, we hope ethnic studies can continue to become pluralistic and diverse, because many of us of a certain vintage, I'm almost 43, our education experience was pretty Eurocentric. It was really reflective of European communities and and history and artistic contributions. And we weren't really exposed to our history and our cultural and artistic contributions to this country. And that's at the core of ethnic studies. It's, It's to engage young people that have been, you know, through the through the data that we've seen through, you know, years and generations have been often pushed out of education or marginalized and, and left on the outside. There's not really a textbook out there for how to teach ethnic studies to high school or to, you know, to middle school or elementary school. So we developed all our own curriculum. We were actually banned from all of the curriculum that we had created due to what I think is just basic fear-mongering, due to uh, the demographic shift of our country, specifically in our state of Arizona and also in Califas as well. Well, you and a dedicated group of other teachers and students have challenged the banning of the Mexican-American Studies Program in Tucson, Arizona, and there is an upcoming court hearing around the legal case involving the ban. So one of our responses originally, that law was passed four years ago in 2010 at the same legislative session as SB 1070 that a lot of folks remember is the, the papers, please, 
Arizona initiative. We, we sued the state of Arizona for uh, in what's called void for vagueness, that this, this law violates uh, First Amendment rights of the students. And we won on one count, we lost on three in federal court, so we appealed to the Ninth Circuit. So on Monday, our, our case is going to be heard. And we're hoping that this time uh, all four of the parameters of the law are seen as unconstitutional so that, that to be honest, uh, immediately here in Tucson, there, there can be a, a resurrection of the, the highly successful program that we had and, and make it even better and bigger. And the plaintiffs are actually students because it's really the students' right to hear this history that is being infringed upon. That's the argument. And the, the, the law is, is crazy. And people can go and Google Daily Show Mexican-American Studies, but things like promote the overthrow of the government, curriculum that uh, causes resentment for a race or class of people. This is the type of language that is being used. And, and, our, and our legal team has poked holes in this by saying, well, and so we're hoping on the night at the Ninth Circuit that we uh, get this law overturned. Great timing because you are also helping to organize a summit and teach-in on ethnic studies this Saturday at Mission High School in San Francisco. Can you tell us about what folks can expect from that event and who should really come out? The Solidarity event, Vanessa, we're really excited that we have such great colleagues in the Bay Area that have helped us throughout through, through the years in, in, the, in our struggle here in Tucson. And we've met some amazing educators in the Bay and also Los Angeles and Texas that are that are pushing the movement forward. That the, the opportunities that we have, we're starting to see spread, and that's super exciting because we we don't we don't ever feel defeated because we see it growing everywhere else. And we just want to get it back in in Tucson. But um, yes, it's going to be at Mission High, and what people can experience is a little bit deeper detail about the work that we did, a little bit more about the legal case in Tucson specifically that's going to be heard on Monday. And then you're going to hear from Bay Area educators, educators from Los Angeles and, and community organizers, and also Texas that have, have these amazing stories of solidarity and, and also the, the um, victories that, that they've had in bringing that, this type of critical education for our youth forward. And we're hoping to use the, the morning sessions to learn from one another and the afternoon sessions possibly to, to break into smaller groups and to get, to get some future organizing and connections and networks in place so that we can help one another grow programs and also make sure that we can defend ourselves across the regional lines um, because, uh, unfortunately, um, those that are, are the, def- the, the, the defamers of, of ethnic studies, they have deep pockets and uh, they, they're all, they have their own networks across the country. So again, the summit teach-in solidarity event around ethnic studies, uh, it's called Queremos Mas, our, our stories are a part of history that will be taking place this Saturday at Mission High School in San Francisco and the event will be from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. se detiene, solo camina con dolor permanente la muerte mata y mata nunca le basta, ataca y ataca quien pasa por su caminar, sin importar la forma de pensar, arrasa con todo, dispara su rojo y apunta en el ojo, en nombre del oro, en nombre de banderas y de fronteras, en nombre de absurdos se llama guerra, se llama tontera, en nombre de la paz vaya locura de que somos capaz, hijos, niños familias, gritos, balas, bombas conflictos, malditos, con ira con rabia, con tanto, con tanta impotencia, tus manos manchadas, cuantos hermanos tendrás que matar la tierra que llora se va a desangrar que llegue la vida como un vendaval que brote la vida, que brille con fuerza que irradie su luz en toda su esencia
donde traje y corbata con leyes se arrasan patriarcas y jefes o oh, presidentes, patronas y amos o oh, terratenientes en nombre de Dios, de seguridad, en nombre de calma y de tranquilidad, de cruces, de dogmas, de imperios, coronas, de credos, petróleo, todo lo devoran, son terroristas de estado, criminales sueltos por todos lados, ahogan la vida desde su oficina, mandando sus tropas a la muerte fija, culpables de hacer la tierra sangrar, culpables de comunidades matar, culpables, culpables de niños llorar, culpables de la vida sepultar. ¿Cuántos hermanos tendrás que matar? ¿Cuántas naciones tendrás que ocupar? La tierra que llora se va a desangrar por tu poder que no puedes saciar. Que llegue la vida como un vendaval para sembrar flores que quieran cortar. Que brote la vida que brille con fuerza, que irradie su luz en toda su esencia. You've been listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. You can listen to this program again or share it with your friends by going to our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash La Raza Chronicles, where you can download or stream our program. You can also stay up on our news by liking our page on Facebook. That's La Raza Chronicles on Facebook. Today's program was produced by Nina Serrano, Vanessa Bohm, and myself, Julieta Kuznir. If you have any ideas for future shows, you can always shoot us an email at larazachronicles at kpfa.org. Muchísimas gracias por escucharnos. Thank you so much. Until next week. <laughs>